Welcome back to another episode of Beer Time with Books. This, this is now our third episode in October. There was some confusion on how many October episodes there have been. We're just feeling juiced. Widespread confusion across the internet. <laughs> yeah, everybody was saying, wait. Yeah, nobody, n- nobody can confirm one way or another. <laughs> we are deep in October. We are at the end of October. Halloween is just two days away. And it was honestly perfect timing for this book. We already thought that it was filling that uh, Halloween niche. And it just got way, way, way out there on the uh, Halloween spoops and scares. Very spooky. Much, much spookier than I thought it was going to be, honestly. Yeah. I mean, we had vampires. We I mean, had. It was, it was perfectly timed because we timed it that way. <laughs> Yeah, this was uh, this was a good Halloween read. We're going to be talking about the second half of The Master and Margarita. Looking forward to that. But before we get into that, we have, uh, as always, some beers that, again, sort of match up. Who knew there was such a market for spooky beers out there? Uh, we even had Rogue Brewery comment on... Our picture of Bat Squatch from a couple episodes ago. I was asking them what, or just asking in general, what other spooky beers there were, and they said they're dead and dead. So, certified from Rogue Brewery, that's a great spooky beer. We didn't get that one today, though. We need to. <laughs> yeah, we would have appreciated that shipment. <laughs> yeah, next they, time they would have sponsored. We're, we're the still episode. working. We're still working on that sponsorship. But uh, yeah, let's go around and hit what we are actually drinking today. Uh, and who wants to start? I think we've had uh, it kind of go around the circle on multiple episodes. Anybody want to start? Mine's not spooky, so I feel like I should start. All right, yeah, let's get the the normie beers out of the way. Yeah. Um, I'm drinking uh, an Avalanche Amber Ale from Breckenridge Brewery, um, which like there's like a brief mention of an Avalanche in the section that we read. That is true. So it's kind of <laughs> applicable. Yeah, it's it's thematic to the book, not, not the season, not to the spooks. Um, but it's good. We love an Amber Ale in this household, so I'm I'm enjoying it. This is Jamie. I don't even know if I said that. Good start. Good start. Uh, this is Brian. I'm doing the Avery Brewing White Rascal again. I felt like I just couldn't get away from this devilish beer for episode two of The Master Margarita. And boy, do we have some stuff to break down with the devil himself for uh, this part of the book. But yeah, this was uh, Boulder, Colorado beer, Belgian style white ale. Uh, and it's going to be fuel for another great discussion here for part two of the Master Margarita. Danny? Nice. I have another Fury Brewing Company favorite uh, from uh, from Pennsylvania. <clears throat> it's Mine is thematically spooky. Uh, it's called Vienna's Wrath. It's a Vienna lager. And uh, it's pretty tasty. I'm a, I'm a fan so far. <laughs> and as always, all those cans will be on Instagram. It's Beer Time with Books on Instagram to take a look. 
Uh, also, we have added a second dog in this house. If you're hearing any rumblings, uh, that's going on. A uh, couple golden doodles. Mm-hmm. We have a guest this week. So uh, they're going to join us for this as well. One of them is looking like uh, Behemoth. We got a little Behemoth in the house. Um, so that'll be nice to have some visual identity to this large <laughs> monster for this discussion. Uh, so next we have the recent media section. It's been a little bit of a quick turnaround. So uh, anything you guys have that have been highlights since the last episode? Um, I started listening to an audiobook that I thought I would have finished by now because it was only like four hours long and I haven't finished it. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I have uh, like an hour and a half left in this. It's Annie John by Jamaica Kincaid, um, which is a classic of Caribbean literature. Um, it's set in Antigua. I'm pretty sure. It's been a few days since I've listened to it. I'm almost positive it's in Antigua. But it's like a coming-of-age story. Um, Annie John is a young girl coming into like her teenage years and a lot of the book is about her relationship with her mother um, and also sort of like her budding sexuality. She has a relationship with another girl at school um, and it's really good so far. It's really sweet. Um, the first chapter started off with a lot of talk of ghosts so it felt uh, thematic again but I haven't finished it quite yet. Um and that's, I mean, most of it. Brian and I are watching the new season of The Great British Baking Show, of course. Um, we're rooting for Mark with a K. Yeah, because there are like three Marks, or there were three Marks. This yeah. has been a Mark-heavy season. There's two season. Marks <laughs> we like We like the Mark that says Baker. Baker. Uh, yeah. Is, he the, is Mark with the K the, the travel, or the guy who travels a lot? Yeah. Yeah, I like Mark with a K. He's a great baker. Mark with a C also is like- also sweet, but he's not our favorite. Yeah, we do. We we like uh, Mark with a C as well. I like I like the young kid. Who's the young kid? Mm. Patrick, Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter. I like Peter. And he's quite a talented gentleman. I'm already yeah. predicting him being in Wonder the finals. Kind. Yeah. yeah. It's usually these these young cats on Great British Baking Show. I, I guess if you're a young person on a skilled competition, that you probably have like an outsized amount of skill to be like that young and yeah, that good. Yeah, you got there already. Yeah, it's pretty certified that you're you're gonna do Little okay. Baking prodigies. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, for me, I've been. Still on the anime game a little bit. I'm on a rewatch of one of my favorites of all time, Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, Just because I've seen it so much, I wanted to get to one of the darker arcs. So this is with Sensui for anybody out there familiar. Um, And it is darker than I remember, especially in such uh, dark times that we're in currently. It's Sometimes a little much, but I have been liking it a lot, and I may just keep it at that uh, just to have a complete arc, Um, but I just think I've seen the beginning of that show so many times, which is great. Uh, I recommend anybody watching that. It's it's a fantastic uh, anime from the uh, 80s and 90s, so that's been pretty good, 
And then we also started uh, Castlevania on Netflix, which is also an animated show based off of the Castlevania video game from way back when. There's a huge series of video games now, but it was pretty short. Um, We finished the first season. Yeah, only four episodes, but it's based around Dracula, and it also just felt like a nice thing to supplement are watching um so yeah dracula's getting revenge for um, his wife being murdered yeah his human wife being murdered so burned at the stake yeah it kind of was like you know played well with this book as well mm-hmm. i think it just you know just the supernatural element to the mortals and the story as well so that's mm-hmm. been kind of interesting and we'll see where that goes i know that uh there are a few more episodes in the seasons to come, but it was a nice, you know, short season at the beginning, which I think is underutilized a lot of just, you know, a few episodes to get a good story across. So, yeah, that's been pretty nice since last episode. Uh, nice. <laughs> I've been reading. Um, well, I have been reading for a long time, All the King's Men, and I... Uh, just finished it a few days ago. Ooh. Huge news, huge milestone, uh, because I've been reading it for so many months. Um, and uh, I was like pretty slow to start it, um, but really like made myself a schedule <laughs> for the last like few weeks of like just like daily reading, uh, reading goals. Because um, I, I knew that otherwise I would just like not be able to, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be that committed to finishing it, but that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I've actually really enjoyed um, uh, just like reading like criticisms and analyses of it also. Um, And um, like, I don't know, reading about its reception and things. Um, So yeah, huge, huge, like check off the, um, the book bucket list. That, uh, that politician is actually based off of a real guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, This corrupt politician from, around that time is like depression era America. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting to get a look into politics at a time where it was less, um, you know, modernized with how much has gone on with money and politics and whatnot. It was interesting to see it at this level of like all these, you know, backdoor conversations and different things like that with corruption at that time. It was, yeah, it was kind of interesting. It's just funny. It's just funny though to like, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's still, it was, for, you know, called like the, like the definitive political novel of like the modern United States or something. And it's just like, like some people still just like stand by that. Like, I mean, it's like, and which is just funny because like the book is full of just like back dealings and bribery and like, you know, I don't know. It reminds me of like a, um, like an original like uh, House of Cards or like Scandal or something like yeah. a very like politically like scandalous show where it's just like oh well this is actually what happens behind the scenes um speaking of political shows will and i started watching veep and we love it and so that's uh that's a good respite for this political season just to have something absurd that is yeah man i i don't know why i was never on the veep train i just like never i don't i just don't know why but we um we have hbo max and i um just uh on a whim decided to watch it the other day and we're like halfway through the second season it's so good and so funny and i um i don't know it's making it's giving me like good feelings about politics recently yeah there's there's a great arc 
to that show where just the stakes get larger and larger while the ineptitude stays pretty much the <laughs> same. Very low. <laughs> we we had to turn on the captions at some points because they're like little quips are so quick and yeah. like everything is so witty and fast and like we just have been laughing out loud every like five minutes because it's just so good. They have so many funny insults and like uh, they're it's great. I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah, that is that is a great show. So you've been really politics uh, media train over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm. I am glad to be done with all the King's Men. Yeah. I'm happy to have read it, but I'm glad to be done. All the King's Men and Veeb. That's uh quite quite the the theme there. So cool. That's some media for uh for this episode uh since the last episode and now we're going to get into uh the master and margarita this is part two which this is a, a great break because um these parts did feel very distinct um and i enjoyed getting into what this part had to offer. So this is the back half of the Master Margarita. We're going to kick it off with a summary from Jamie. Summary. Let's go. All right. Um, so we start off part two, as was discussed in the last episode, uh, meeting one of the titular characters, Margarita, who we had just briefly heard about um, in the first part, but we didn't even know her name in the first part, technically, I don't think. Um, we meet Margarita and she has been pining after the master since he disappeared. Um, she doesn't know where he went. She's kind of considering just committing suicide because she's really unhappy in her marriage, even though her husband is like a really good guy. (laughs) Um, and then one day she is met in the park by one of the uh, part of the retinue of uh, the devil's little entourage um, who invites her to come talk to Woland and in- insinuates that they have information about the master that she might want. Um, and what ensues after that is just like <laughs> hijink after hijink of insanity and uh, supernatural things. Uh, she's kind of turned into like a witch through some body cream. She flies around <laughs> Moscow and ends up at the apartment where Woland and everyone else is staying. Um, but then that kind of turns into like the underworld. And uh, the main point of Woland's journey here is that he's throwing a ball. <laughs> um, the underworld ball. The underworld ball. <laughs> Satan's, Essentially. Satan's big bash. Uh, and <laughs> this has happened before, and it's always hosted by a woman named Margarita, so they had to find someone named Margarita. Um, and so she agrees to like be the hostess of this party <laughs> that is just... Like I, uh, my favorite scene by far in this whole book. I loved it so much. But like, just bunch of dead people coming in. It's all the worst people living in hell coming to this party, and Margarita needs to impress them. But they are demanded respect. Respect. 
respect. It you, doesn't matter what they've done. They deserve respect. You have to be nice to them. That was the order to Marguerite. I, I did think that that was such an interesting part of like, you have to, you know, no matter what, treat everyone the same. Yeah. yeah very interesting. Um, And that party ends with Woland and Margarita both drinking blood from uh, Berlioz's head. There's just like a lot going on. Um, super metal, super metal party. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, an amazing party. Truly, this I wish I had an invite. Proto metal. This was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then after that, she is promised that she can like have whatever she wants from him. He, she gets a favor from the devil essentially for doing this for him. Um, and there, there's a little bit of a back and forth there, but the thing that she wants is to be with the master. Um, and so he's brought back and from there, uh, various things happen, but towards the end of the novel, uh, the, the master and Margarita are put to peace. (laughs) Um, which we'll have to talk more about what that means, but essentially they, they think that they're going to live their life happily in Moscow, um, and then they end up being killed and taken to the underworld forever, um, but in a happy way. Uh. Yeah, kind of like a subtle twist ending, like not yeah. not like anything where you know the mask was torn from anybody. Although I guess to the revealing of how they get there in the end has a bit more of that, which I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah, the yeah. fact that uh, it was very peaceful. It was interesting. It's a happy ending. Um, and we also, at the end, get more of Pontius Pilate, and he comes into the modern day, and there's a lot that we need to break down with that. But basically, everybody leaves Moscow, and the police kind of try to figure out what happened, but life just moves on. It's just like a, it's just like a mystery. But like they talk about black, a bunch of black cats are sadly, like murdered. turned into the police and murdered because you know of all of the chaos that uh, that Behemoth wrought. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually wondering when the superstition about black cats was started. Um, that that'd be worth looking up. I I didn't think about it until now that like. If this was the earliest sentence, Danny looks like she's <laughs> she's looking it up. But that that's kind of an interesting thing, also. That like I know that this is a novel that has had like a very famous quote that's been used in a lot of different contexts. That was from actually this back half. Mm-hmm. Um, manuscripts don't burn, mm-hmm. but wondering if the black cat thing was kind of like an influence of this as well, since it's such an influential novel. But it's hard to say, I guess, because it came out so much later. Um, than when it was written, and I don't know, kind of curious about that. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um. So to start off discussion, I I feel like we should start by talking about Margarita, um, and our reactions to her introduction to the plot because I know in the first half all of us were kind of like, oh, this master guy just showed up, and like, how is this? Go- Why are they the main characters of the book, and how is it going to tie into everything with like Ivan and Berlioz and the authors and all the things? Um, so I just wanted to get your first reactions about. Margarita as a character and possibly as our protagonist um, and also just like the overall structure of the novel, like her being introduced over halfway through, like how how did we 
feel about that, I guess. Yeah, <clears throat> it was definitely very interesting to like, um, to like come to understand very quickly that she played such an important, I mean, obviously we knew from the title, but like she played, I mean, like we understood very quickly, like in the, in book two, that like she wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't just like, oh, like one chapter of, you know, learning a little bit about her or like hearing from her. Um, we spend so much time with her and I don't know. I mean, it's definitely like, um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of uh, intrigue that was like built up during the entire first half. And then especially with like, the way that we divide it, like we had to wait a while even before we started book two. Um, and um, and I also like over, I'm just referring to like the structure, like the overall structure. I noticed like by the end, um, we had spent so much time with so many different characters, like not necessarily from different people's points of view, but like we we follow so many different characters and so many different groups. And for some, for a while we're with the master and then we're with the Margarita and then we're with, um, <clears throat> we're with some of Wolin's um, cronies and then we're with other people. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it's, uh, it gave me a little bit of whiplash throughout the entire book, but also it kept it really, really interesting. I thought it was so interesting to follow so many, um, so many of the characters at so many different points. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Playing off that, I think it was very cool that, despite her coming in so late as you were kind of mentioning that you know there was such a sprawl but something that was very noticeable within this novel is that so much came back there was so much recall or so much to tie in all the way down to Pontius Pilate playing a role in the modern timeline like mm-hmm. all we kept doing was this like flashback to uh, the first century and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, he's actually like going to be an integral role in closing out this whole thing. And so the fact that Margarita could come in, could meet with these characters, could still tie in with all of these other timelines was really great. But, yeah, from the get go, uh, I thought that her introduction was so great and that um, it really helped to further clarify uh, a little bit about how we should feel about Wooland because we were all kind of curious in the first part of like what he is doing doesn't seem that dramatically bad necessarily. We kept being like, well, what's he here for? Like what's going on? And the fact that she was brought in and, and one of the things that I brought up during the summary is that when they had this ball, he you know, Woland had brought her in and everyone was saying to respect, you know, this territory of the underworld, all of these horrible people, these ghastly characters that, you know, she was still very poised through that. It just like further played into, you know, whatever's happening with Woland, especially with the fact that in the end he kept his promise and did something good for her for going through all of that. Um, it just felt like it couldn't have been anybody else because we were already introduced to Marguerite as being so devoted to the master and devoted to his work that she was able to keep purity through this test uh, with Woland to, in the end, bring about peace through what should have been this very evil character. But I thought that like her adding into the mix in such a significant way because... Like we had said, she didn't even come in fully until her named chapter, the first one of part two. 
um, that she could come in and really help flesh out Woland in that way uh, was was fantastic. And um, it was just nice to have some grounding somewhere because even within the master, he was having doubts within his own work. But uh, but with Margarita, she was uh, very pure in what she was doing, and it kind of just helped ground it overall in a novel that often got very chaotic um, that, you know, she was there to help keep it okay. So that was really nice to have her uh, become more significant in that way in the second half. Yeah, why do we think that she's uh, the person that's chosen for that role? Like, what about Margarita is our uh, our protagonist? What you know, what does she do for Woland and for the novel and uh, for the themes that we're talking about? Well, I think first off, like she is the perfect her her character and her experience during her life, like is like a perfect candidate for literally flying away on a broomstick as a witch. <laughs> like she she is so unhappy. Like she says, she's so unhappy with her life. Like um, she basically says, like. She she knows she probably should be happy. Her husband is like a it's like a lovely. I mean, he's like a nice person. Like she's provided for in every way, <clears throat> and so like you know she's already like a good candidate for wanting to like just literally like escape her life, and that's exactly what she does. She like turns into a witch, like mounts a broomstick naked, and then goes and wreaks havoc like sort of in a Woland esque way, <laughs> um, in <clears throat> in a few different situations. Uh, uh, before she actually goes and like sees him and goes to the goes to the ball, and so um, I think to start, yeah, she's um, she's perfectly like poised in her life um, to just like break free from like her what she thinks are what she sees as like chains. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, this was definitely just to clarify. Uh, this was informed by reading a little bit more into some analysis, but. Like Margarita being an advocate for uh, for the writing that the master was doing, like that was such a nice thing to have because we had this play off of uh, Ivan in the first half and like that interaction and the fact that, you know, we had so much of a focus on this elite writers club uh, at the beginning with Berlioz and, and that whole crew uh, you know, it was nice to have her be in there and give legit legitimacy to this writing that was rejected by so many officials in a place that had such significant uh, censorship um, that it was nice that, again, she just stayed so true to that throughout the entire thing and, and wasn't really, um, you know, strayed from her devotion to the writing like that was such a big part it wasn't that she was just devoted to the master necessarily but like she loved the the book mm -hmm. and that was something that she specifically said and again it comes up multiple times when the master had thrown it in the fire and obviously that plays a bigger role because uh with that famous quote manuscripts are never burned the devil brings it back later on but like that she just was so true to that and it wasn't that she was just so like invincible or, or just so inherently brave like she was very afraid in multiple parts because like 
you know, as we mentioned, the chaos of this back half, they're literally in the the depths of hell and like <laughs> meeting all of these insane people. And like, I liked that when it was written in there that she was still seamlessly part of this group, but also like there were multiple instances where it mentioned how afraid she was. Um, so that was kind yeah. of nice to like have that where, you know, it wasn't something where it was just like she's floating through, no pun intended with her <laughs> broomstick scene, but that she's just like floating through all easily. There was challenges to her being so devoted, but like she still did it in such a classy way and in such a way that like it made it feel so earned at the end that they were able to get the ending that they did. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, she really took everything in stride. <laughs> like, she, and, and multiple times, like, uh, you know, she talks about how um, she's she was really tiring um, during parts of the ball. I mean, she was tiring because of all of the adoration she was getting from all of the guests. But she so was, tough. you know, it, it felt like very, she was like, my knee was getting sore from all of the kissing or whatever. I don't know, whoever they were, whatever they were kissing. What, but, a, what a problem um, to have. <laughs> but all these I mean even kisses. even at the like even afterward you know she talks about like her this sort of like sacrifice that she made to turn herself into a witch to like be sort of to give this up like for the love of this of this story of this like book um and that's clear throughout the entire um s the entire second half I think yeah I think she's an interesting character in that way too because her her focus is um, pretty limited, but it makes her like a really interesting, uh, like unbiased party as a protagonist a little bit. Like she, we talk a lot about the, the difference between good and evil and sort of the necessity of both of them. And I feel like she has a lot of the qualities of both because she's, she's working for something that's like not selfish, but also she seems kind of like a selfish person. Like, Yeah, I didn't she, love Marguerite at the beginning. Yeah. I was kind of like, I don't really like, because she's introduced in such a, uh, in such a way where, you know, a big plot point is that her and the master were both already married. Mm -hmm. So like that was like one of the earlier things that we even heard about her character was in the midst of, everybody else's sins getting focused on in, in Moscow that like it kind of felt like that was a blending in with everybody else to some degree. Cause it was like, yeah, all these people are greedy for their money. All these people are greedy for their clothes. And like, she was like an adulterer or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I thought that that, you know, made it even better in the end that she was introduced in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like she there was a quote um towards the end. I think when it I think it's when Woland is talking to Pontius Pilate, maybe, right towards the end. Um, a quote that I really liked that said, uh, you pronounced your words as if you refused to acknowledge the existence of either shadows or evil, but would you kindly ponder this question? What would your good do if evil didn't exist and what would Earth look like if all the shadows disappeared? Um and I feel like Margarita is like a big part of that sort of idea of like she she does do good in the end, but like a lot of it is through evil means um, or like 
she became the princess of darkness. They kept talking about yeah. the, prin- the the prince of darkness. She and like the and like the queen. Like she's even called like queen yeah. at one point, right? Like yeah. I mean, really, like she's really doing doing whatever it takes. <laughs> but her actions snowball so much. Like not only is she working to get this book like back to the master and back in her own possession, but also like that snowballs into like finding peace for Pontius Pilate. Like there's so much that that works into, which is like a really beautiful, I don't know. It's tied up so well. She's such an imperfect person, but like a really good protagonist for this weird novel, um, which I think is great. Um, I would also like to talk about the Pontius Pilate sections uh, because we focused on that so much. Yeah, that... That Pontius Pilate section in the second half, I was like fully not expecting. There was so much, like so much more content Pontius Pilate related. And I was like, what's happening? I just like, I don't know. I, I didn't expect to see so much in the second half. Yeah, it it did a, and I'll just say, this is an inglorious bastard spoiler. So if you want to fast forward like 30 seconds or something, but it really- I haven't seen it. Oh Can no. Can I fast forward? <laughs> I also haven't seen it. Oh, well- Basically, then the it's point fine. the point is here that they took a very well-known historical moment and changed it. Like everything in the story was like following what could be, you know, it, it could be seen to be a part of what was already the established history. But then like a big moment shifted where you're like, whoa that like it made the impact so much more and that happened here in the back half where it felt like at the beginning we were following that history so much more Mm -hmm. but then in the second half it starts to take its own trajectory which was really cool yeah let's talk about that why does that happen what's happening there how does it get into present day and also the underworld and also purgatory and maybe heaven Well, I think, so just to reference the point, you know, we were talking about, especially because of who we were focusing on when we were talking about these sections last time of Judas and Pontius Pilate, that that's where that big deviation happens. Uh, So, you know, it's earlier on in this second part where we get that deviation where Pontius Pilate actually ends up killing Judas. Mm -hmm. But in the Bible, Judas is so overcome with grief that he kills himself. And so that was something that uh, I knew it felt off, but I did have to relook it up. I was like, that didn't happen. But like, did it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I felt but the like, exact same way. Did it? Um, so <laughs> It's been a while since I, yeah. I cracked open the Bible. Yeah. So like that was definitely something that was it got me back into those sections again where I had kind of questioned at the end of part one where we were like, where do we go from here? We got to the crucifixion mm-hmm. and, you know, that's such a pivotal part of the story. But it's it's not the point overall because Pontius has a longer journey to go on. Uh, so I think that it was helpful to start that suspension of disbelief early because Pontius then goes through, you know, what happens through the rest of the novel and ends up being a presence in modern day Moscow that it was nice to not have that happen all of a sudden. 
that you could start to get these crumbs of like, okay, something interesting is going on here. I don't know what it is, but I think that like that helped set that up for later on and, and really highlight, uh, you know, after the fact where it wasn't that Pontius Pilate was weighing this decision to sentence Jesus to death, but that he still had this remorse afterward enough where he had to kill Judas to make himself feel better about Mm it. Even though he never really feels better. Right. And so like that was just kind of a, a, a nice way to to lead it in very subtly um, so that we can reach that ultimate conclusion. So I, I really liked that it played it in that way. And the fact that it was split so nicely from the first part to the second part in its style. Mm-hmm. Danny, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I was like, I was very, I was very engaged with the, with the, despite it being so long, the, um, the Pontius Pilate part in the, in the second book. And just like, I was so intrigued. I feel like as somebody, I mean, I don't know, we've all talked about this, but like, like (laughs) the story of like, of like Jesus and Pontius Pilate is, is told so much in like Christianity that I just feel like. I was really intrigued by this like retelling of it in like a in like a different way. And also um I I I enjoyed reading from like Pontius Pilate's perspective like like a, a, an imagining of the way that he would have felt um after ordering, you know, this this crucifixion um of um of somebody that he um I don't know, didn't didn't really feel like deserved it. Um, and I, I mean, I was even surprised to, um, to find like when we met him again at the end that he was like, what plagued by like insomnia. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, he was still be- he was still tortured, um, all like, you know, 2000 years later with, um, with, with like guilt and, um, and like anger at himself. Um, um, yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that more than I <clears throat> than I thought I was going to um, because after a while like I was kind of like all right like what is this book that Margarita is like fighting so hard for <laughs> like what is like what you know what is like interesting or special about it or whatever and I I um, I appreciated the book within the book <laughs> yeah I definitely also like I again admittedly I said this last time too and like the Pontius Pilate sections in the second half were more interesting to me, but I, they still, like, felt long, and I was kind of like, okay, but I want to get back to the devil and, like, what's mm-hmm. going on in Moscow? <laughs> um, but the moment when uh, Levi, who I think is Matthew, is it Matthew? Ma- Ma- Matthew the Levi. Is it, what is it in your translation? In mine, it's Matthew the Levite is what it's called. Oh, it's, like, Levi Matthias or something in our translation. And oh, then okay. sometimes... Matthew was fully yeah but I think it was like Matthew Levi sometimes I don't know this name or this it changed a lot well this book just in general most people had like three ways to say their name you know in a lot of different areas but yeah I don't know that we ever had it necessarily in the way that um yours did yeah it normally started with Levi um 
which I had to look up like specifically. I was like, I think that this is who this is, but um, <laughs> when he showed up like on that rooftop in Moscow in one of those last chapters, I was suddenly like, oh shit, like yeah. what's happening? <laughs> I I'm interested now. How is this going to tie in? Um, and that ending of like the master being responsible for essentially taking Pontius Pilate out of purgatory um, is such an interesting, like, not deviation, but, like, a surprise ending for me. I was very much like, I don't know what's happening, and wow, this is a choice, and I didn't expect to get here. Um, So how did you guys react to that last little bit? All of the, you know, the rainbow bridges and whatnot (laughs) happening towards the end. Well, I'll just say, first of all, it sounds like next season we're going to need to choose the Bible (laughs) for one of our books. Season three, colon, the Bible. (laughs) Because apparently all of us had to do a lot of (laughs) looking up for this stuff. Relapsed Christians. (laughs) So sorry. Lapsed. Next next season we're going to have to do the Bible. Um, Yeah, I think um, that playing it in that way and and with the ending um, that he was involved, it was kind of a nice thing um, to see just from a narrative standpoint that Matthew's devotion to Jesus paid off, that like he was able to interact and essentially be his right-hand man because this is something we haven't talked about all that much for this end section here, but like, the devil and Jesus are in cahoots. Oh yeah. Uh, and this message comes down. I am, am I, uh, getting smited for saying that? <laughs> the- no, I mean, you need darkness to have the light. Sure. Like, but I'm talking in practical gonna- Christianity. Um, so, <laughs> so like, I think that that was really nice that, you know, like I said, Matthew's devotion was rewarded where he was still with Jesus in the end. And, that um, that Jesus was also, you know, a fan of of literature. <laughs> that Jesus was like, I read your book. <laughs> Yo, bro, I read your book. <laughs> it was sick. Um, so, like, that was just kind of a cool thing that, like, the master, and, and again, this is informed by looking at analysis into the book, that him focusing so much on a story that is essentially blacklisted gets that much praise from like Jesus himself, which is just like, you know, anointing unrestricted text Mm -hmm. and thought like that's just kind of a cool way to do it of like, Hey, uncensored literature is blessed by God. (laughs) Jesus loves my stuff. (laughs) Like, like that, like that. It's like a very, you know, Especially in a society that is atheist. Yeah, right. So it's like a very dramatic way to do it. But like just the fact that that message is brought home. Because like how many novels can you think that are social critiques that like get to a point that's like that dramatic? It's not like I'm I'm serious. I thought you were going to say how many novels do you know of that are blessed by God? (laughs) This is the only one. But like... Just like how many social critiques do you know that like 
the alternative to what it's critiquing is that it's just fully blessed by God himself. <laughs> like, like that's just an, a crazy choice to make of like, you know, to, to really drive the point home and in a creative way. Again, like I had talked a lot previously um, about uh, how interesting it was for them to you or for Mikhail Bulgakov to use these divine beings to tell this story, but like it was still wrapped up in a way that wasn't just like in awe of the presence of these people. It was like great punctuation to the points themselves, which was really cool. Yeah, I loved all of the layering of just like so much fantasy, like so much chaos, <clears throat> so much Christianity, so much like witchcraft. <laughs> All of it, like, layering on top of each other. And then, like, just the the retelling and the flipping on its head and, and just being, like, actually, like, you know, I see your, like, you know, traditional Christian story and I, you know, like, raise you witchcraft and, like, a black cat and chaos <laughs> on Moscow uh, and, like, naked witches. And also, Jesus loves my shit. So, like, I, I, I don't know. I like that... Um, I just kind of feel like he went, he went all out and he layered so much of it. And it was like so much more, um, I don't know. I feel like that contrast, like the contrast of all of it really came out because like all, all of the, all of these sort of like fantasy elements, these fantastical elements are, um, are like lined up sort of against each other so that you can like see them all sort of at the same time. And I just, I don't know. I, uh, I, that I don't. That was more like an overview of how I felt about the whole book. But I feel like, um, especially at the end, so much is happening. There's so many Christian symbols. So many like, um, uh, like there's like the the witchcraft layer, and then there's like the um, all all of the sort of like the the elements of like Russian society thrown in, um, and atheism and all of it. Like it's just all there, and there's so much happening. And, <laughs> and it never I, fell I was, apart. Like that's the thing too yeah. is that even with all of that, it never felt like it lost its ability to be a fully realized story. It didn't feel like a lot of these moments were just thrown in as like a whoa, isn't that crazy witchcraft? Blah blah blah. Like just because, especially throughout the novel. I think it was a very, just because it happened so much, like a very um, purposeful use of callback where mm -hmm. most things that happened in the novel had it happened somewhere else. Yeah, it was important in some way. Even down to Later. like the the woman by the streetcar with the oil. Like, like Anushka. Even, yeah, like she came back and like all these various details like just kept coming back. So like that's that's the crazy thing too that with the layering you're talking about, Danny, that like it still was able to be a cohesive whole in the end. Um, as a fun side note, I was reading today about like ways in which the Master and Margarita has permeated Russian society and apparently... A common, I don't know how common, but a phrase that is known in Russia is Anushka has already spilled the oil, meaning that like <laughs> it's inevitable. It already happened. Oh, that's great. I um, love it. Which I'm I gonna love. start saying it. I'm using it. <laughs> like I think I, I took what, a what picture. a what a very dark idiom though of the <laughs> connotation of like 
call back to Ber- Berlioz getting decapitated. Yeah. That this is the phrase that they latched onto. Is, it's already happened. You're already, your head's there, already out. There's an incredible quote. I don't know what article well, this is from. Well, the bad shit has already happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what article this is from because I didn't take a picture of the title. But it says on some article uh, that... <laughs> The Chechen warlord Shamil Basayev once taunted his enemies with the phrase, Anushka has already spilled the oil, meaning an unavoidable fate, um, which is incredible. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Anyway. A very, very niche reference. Um, I wanted... Oh, I lost my train of thought because I brought that up. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about the, like, two things. This is it. Um, first, the narration of the novel, because there is so, there's so many little, like, side quips and, like, breaking of the fourth wall. And I've heard that maybe this is kind of common in a lot of Russian literature of, like, the narrator speaking to the reader. Um, but we get a lot of that. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. But I'd also like to talk about, um, we, we talked about last episode, we know that Bukharkov, uh died before he could finish this. Um, and I read some reviews online where people were like, oh yeah, you can definitely tell in the second half that it was unfinished and just thrown together. And I didn't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's so, co- like just like we talked about, it's so cohesive and things tie together so well at the end. Um, so those two things that mm, talk <laughs> either thing yeah i don't know i i really like just like as a as a general thing i love the um i love being addressed as like reader every so often <laughs> it it makes me feel like i'm like being told a story by like an old like russian man over like like a fireplace or something i don't know it makes me feel very uh, like, like, um, paid attention to every so often. <laughs> and, and also like sort of, um, sort of like brings you like sort of back to, back to reality. It's like, it's almost grounding. Like I feel, um, sometimes to feel like, oh, like, you know, I don't know, this is back where we are. Like, this is the, this is the overarching like story or like, this is what's happening. Um, and I, I don't know. I never felt like it was, um, I talked about this a little earlier, but I never, I never felt like it was too hard to follow or too confusing because it's not like we had different narrators we were just like following different peoples and different groups stories um throughout all of it and so it jumped around a lot but it was still pretty easy to follow for me and so um I mean I I feel like a book this chaotic I would assume would take me a long time to read but I I actually read it like read it all pretty quickly and um and was able to take it all in um pretty quickly because like I I don't know I was like I was very like intrigued the whole time and I um despite all of the um sort of disparate feeling stories like it it all like like we said like was cohesive in the end um so in that way I I thought it was pretty pretty easy to follow yeah I think um with the way the narrator presents everything that's going on this kind of plays into both of the questions here honestly that you know, the narrator, first of all, makes it very whimsical, which is really nice and something that could be so serious. If it was told in such a point blank way, this novel could easily have a tone shift where like, oh, this is terrifying. Like people are disappearing. Like the bowels of hell are here. 
Like that could be something that if it's just told matter of factly, it's kind of like, ooh, I don't know about any of this. It could really be an off-putting thing, but I think it really helps add in that criticism where it's kind of like, no, this is a parody of what's going on. Like this is silly, right? We all agree this is silly. So silly. Everything's silly. Like like just the the society itself, you know, yeah. like this is silly. Like, can we all agree? Uh, so like that was kind of a, a cool thing with that. And then also I, I think that for something like this where there's so many jumps of like we have Ivan at the beginning and then Woland and his crew and then we have the Master Margarita and then we have the Pontius Pilate sections like those are all pretty disparate things, but the way the narrator works, it's all very subtle and all just like the tiniest of details. But a lot of those sections specifically had this like, just like in video editing terms, like a nice transition of like a fade in fade mm-hmm. out where it was like, and she read this sentence in the book, blah, 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 blah. And then the beginning of the next chapter in the Pontius Pilate section is exactly that sentence. Mm-hmm. And it did that over and over. And we end with the last sentence right. of the book twice. Yeah, and and uh, that and that was called back to actually yeah. where they talked about that in the first half, I yeah. think. So they were saying what the end of the they alluded to what the end of the book was going to be. But I think it was just things like that that helped keep it cohesive. Where it was just this extra bit of style that you know, again, if it would have been out of there, the book still would have been an interesting thing, but it was that last little bit where it's just a sentence on the front and back end of chapters that was like, okay, so we're still in a steady flow, kept you wanting to read more, bringing you into each part. So that was- Follow me, reader. Exactly, exactly. So that was great. And then also just as far as um, in general, the- cohesiveness of being pieced together later this is just something that i read that i wanted to throw in because we're kind of getting far along in the episode that i really liked that it was like a call on accident to real life uh where bulgakov died and his third wife took on putting this book together Mm -hmm. and making sure that it got published similarly to margarita's like drive to do the same thing but this is happening after the book is already done after he's already dead like that's something that i think helps create such a legend surrounding stories where like all of these things accidentally happen where it just creates an overall more powerful powerful experience and just the fact that a lot of it is seemingly autobiographical where authors are like oh i'm getting censored like he's getting censored oh, you know, there's this problem where the book can't get published and the significant other helps bring it home. That happened here. Like, that's just such a crazy thing. And, like, I don't find any fault in any of that because I don't feel like it lost. It was lost anywhere in translation after the fact. So I, I don't think that that holds water to me personally. And props to his wife for taking it across the finish line because yeah. that's insane. Good for her. Especially for how long it took. Like, that's just absurd that that was even able to happen. So I think that's just kind of my thoughts on both of those. Nice. All right. Well, do we want to move into final thoughts, guys? Uh, Overall, how did you like the novel? Was it what you expected? Um, Does it inspire you to read other things from Bulgakov or more Russian literature or the Bible? 
Uh, <laughs> Season three, baby. <laughs> uh, whoever wants to start. Yeah, I mean, it definitely like uh, definitely inspires me to read. I mean, I don't know more Bulgakov, but also just in general, like I don't have a lot of um, experience with Russian literature, and so uh, this is sort of this, what a what a um, I don't know what an introduction <laughs> to Russian literature. Um, but um, I I had literally no expectations going. I had absolutely no idea. I had absolutely no idea that there was going to be so much Christianity involved. Uh, and 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 also, yeah, I don't know. Um, I still got all of the Alice in Wonderland vibes that I was getting from the first from the first half. Um, but I I um, like I said earlier, like I I really enjoyed um, like. I, I, I don't I don't think I was ever bored like it was never dull like there was always so much happening there was so much chaos and it was it, it was you know it was a lot to handle but um it never really felt overwhelming I was always just like I felt like I was like I don't know like in a movie like when you're in like a moving car and like you're you're like racing around <laughs> that's kind of like how I don't know that's like that's kind of like how I felt like you're just like racing through Moscow and then all of a sudden you're like in the underworld and then like you're with Satan for a little while. Then you're like on a broomstick. You're rushing back. Like there's so I, I don't know. Like there was so I, I loved all of the transitions. I loved like how like the um, uh, the like how, the time range, like the timing range, like how much time like um, passed like was like between Pontius Pilate and like the president. I don't know. Uh, it was it was I never felt like it was um, too over, like too overwhelming. Um, but I, the second half was more chaotic, I think, than I expected it to be, which is saying something like the first half was already like a lot. Um, but I, I also, you know, I really felt like the, 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 I'm like, I, I'm a sucker for like endings that are like very tied up neatly with a bow. And like this ending was so that like, it was like, and this is what happened to this character and this character and all of these people, all of these people from the first half, like their little, their little stories were like wrapped up even in just like a paragraph. Um, and I loved that there were, I loved that there were like no loose ends really. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I liked it more than I expected that I think I expected to like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I very, very, or I really, really enjoyed it. I, I very, very enjoyed it. You guys, I very, very, Let me very, tell very. You, I very, very enjoyed it. <laughs> no, I really, 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 really enjoyed it. Uh, I just think, even from the fact that I know that I didn't pick up on everything because I know there are whole other layers of just like watching a few videos and looking at other stuff online, you know, that I didn't even want to touch with a 10 foot pole right now. Cause I was like, that's beyond what I understand right now with not only the actual criticisms themselves of Soviet society to the tie-ins with Faust, for instance, and different things like that. It's just that stuff that I don't fully get. And I think that that's, a great thing that it never felt like it was a detraction from the book overall that it was still feeling like a complete piece but that there's still that opportunity that if you went back through and really wanted to break it down in that way that you'd still find so much more I think that that's such a quality of a lot of my favorite books of where I read through them once and I was like okay I know that I didn't fully get anything but in the end, the whole experience was still incredible. And so um, I thought it was great from that aspect. And one of the things that I really enjoyed from a sequencing standpoint, I don't know how much this holds water, but 
and a lot of other books, you know, when it's split into like, this is part one and this is part two or whatever, they have all these like very definitive splits that it sometimes feels arbitrary where it's like, okay, like I get it. It's kind of like, here's the next part of the story. Um, but it didn't feel like it needed to be separate. It could have been like one cohesive book. In this case, it was kind of like at the beginning, we got this broader view of where we were introduced to so many characters and it kind of felt like it was more about these broader critiques of Moscow where it was like, you know, people disappearing and all of the things with the show where it was showing like the problems with the society where they were so uh, influenced by greed and all these other things. But then when we get to the second half, because it zooms so much in on Margarita, it starts to get to more of like personal traits and it's, and we're still aware of the criticisms of Moscow, but it starts getting into these themes more of like creativity and, and like love and evil, as we had mentioned that it was like, to me, it really felt like that was such a definitive difference because we got that start with Margarita. It was like, here's Margarita. We stuck with her the whole time. And though she hit a lot of scenes with everybody else, it just felt so much more centered on the person, Mm -hmm. which is how I think it really managed to lasso in everything that was going on because it lessened the scope a lot. Uh, And also because it started to focus in more on more positive ideals than negative ones despite the fact that there was still all this craziness going on, we were driven more by Margarita's love, by, you know, Woolen's assistance with Jesus, like all these different things. Like it all started ending up being more of a positive focus than a negative focus. So in that way, the two parts felt very distinct. Uh, And I thought that that, made me enjoy the way we had split it up more. I'm glad we got to discuss each one individually because Mm -hmm. it felt like they were worth discussing individually. So um, that was really nice. And like I said, for all the other reasons of what happened outside of this novel, it's just crazy that all of that ties in so much to what this book actually is and that it's even able to be read. It it feels kind of magical that we got to read it. It it really does. And and I'll just say that... um, Danny and I have a Russian coworker, and this is just a small story that she said, but I feel like it's worth saying that like her dad was born and raised in Soviet in the Soviet Union. And she had mentioned that he was like needing to get pieces of this book like secretly and read it by candlelight and different things. And like, that's just a crazy thing that there's such a journey that, you know, people had to keep passing it around that it had to keep living in an incomplete form to finally get to what it is now where people are like debating what the best translation is and what's the, like the least censored, but we're able to get to a point where people are like, no, this may be the most definitive form of this book. And like, it took such a long time to get there. I think that's awesome. So yeah, overall really like the book. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll mimic a lot of the things that you guys said. I, I feel like the main thing that, um, that I loved about this book that I wasn't expecting was how whimsical it is. Um, I like I picked this book and I knew a little bit about it, but I was like, "Ooh, fun! The devil comes to Moscow. That sounds scary and interesting." And 
uh, cool. But I expected the devil to be the antagonist, which I don't think he was. Like, I really, I feel like most of the people in Wolin's crew are really sympathetic characters. Like, they do cause some havoc, but they also have a purpose. Like, and we even barely got to that, but like they kind of even seemed like they were fulfilling a purpose, just like Margarita was, because they yeah. had their transformation, and it was almost at the end like, okay, you did it, thanks. Yeah. And they were outside of what they looked like the whole novel, which was yeah, kind of played. Yeah, into it was that. a whole thing. Um, yeah, and like I loved all of those characters, and I, I felt really attached to them. Like I said, the my favorite scene has to be Satan's ball. And there was something, like, really charming even about all of the people, like, coming out of hell. That, like, the Frida character whose story is tragic and Margarita, like, wants to help her. Um, it was a great enough wish to help her that she got a second wish. She got a second wish. Um, I don't know. Something about just all of that. The, like, sort of flipping on its head who is good and who is bad and how that theme is discussed through those really whimsical and supernatural characters and moments. Um, I really, really loved a lot. Um, final, final thought is that I kept thinking this throughout reading, especially the second half, but I feel like this is definitely a book that I will pick up five years from now and it'll feel like a really cozy nostalgic happy read like there's something really happy about it in a really weird way and I I just imagine myself I like I feel like I, I say that about books sometimes of like oh I should reread like I should read that again and I feel like this is a book that I will actually read again because there's like so many layers to it and also it was just so enjoyable and so like actually me laughing to myself uh, throughout reading it that I I feel like it'll feel really really nice to pick up again later in life. Um, so yeah, that's it, guys. Yeah. Thanks for reading. I feel like it. I feel like there, I feel like there are a lot of like there are like a lot of layers that like, uh, I hopefully you know will be able to like read more things that like this book references and like understand more things in like the next few years and like further on and further on and like be able to pick it up and actually like catch on to more things that like this book references because like even I mean like we didn't even scratch the surface of so many things and so I just feel like there's there's so many you know there's so much more to like analyze um and it's like exciting to have a prospect of like oh this book like I can read again in a few years and like it'll feel uh you know there'll be things that I'll like I'll I'll be able to discover that are like new Mm -hmm. yeah and for the readability just uh again referencing our Russian coworker, like I was confused at the beginning when she specifically said like every few years when I like feel like shit I I pick this book up and I didn't know if this was like a masochistic thing where she just like, like it's just the devil's, you know, causing chaos and havoc. But like because it ends the way it does, it does in the end bring about some coziness to it mm-hmm. um, where it's not all doom and gloom. So, yeah, that's uh, there's a peace. It might not bring light, but it brings peace. Yeah. 
Very true, very true. So yeah, I just think that <laughs> it does make sense, and I know that she said her family's the same way of the reread ability. So yeah, um, it's kind of cool to have read it the first time, and maybe of uh, more to come. Yeah. Uh, come back to Beer Time with Books five years from now. We'll do a second reading. Um, all of us together. We're going to do commentary episodes where <laughs> we, we play the episode and we talk over the episode about the episode. And <laughs> I can't wait for our five years from now replay of all of our episodes. <laughs> uh, just the infinite content. So yeah, with that, um, we just have one more book this season. I think we are still on track to wrap this thing up before 2020 is over for our mostly... Uh, socially distanced season. Danny, I just was listening back to the early episodes as I lay dying. You were in the room with us and uh, most of the episodes still been here, but it'll be nice to, I think it's good to, to roll with the punches and end it that way, but we will be ending with your choice for book number seven. So uh, just to fill people in on what that is before the next episode, let us know. Yeah. We're going to be reading Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood. Let's so go. That will, that will be, let's go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that will be book number seven. We'll, we'll be doing part one and two. And then as we did for season one, we're going to do a bit of a uh, season finale episode where we go through our least favorite, top three favorites, favorite beers, different things like that. It was a fun episode last time, a little more loose and, uh, should be fun again. So uh, I'm just going to definitively say I scattered last time. <laughs> I definitely scattered last oh time. So whose turn is it to scatter? This is a jazzy it's episode. The intro is I'm very jazzy. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's Jamie's. I know it's my <laughs> turn and I was going to try to avoid it. Jamie but... pulled the, this is my episode card last time <laughs> <laughs> to not scat. This is my episode. <laughs> All right, Jamie, take us out of the scat. <laughs> ends with nice. a shoop we will catch you next time bye <laughs> bye